Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. I'm Eric, Discipleship Pastor at New Life Lutheran Church. Today in our podcast, we are continuing our conversation about living life together, about friendships, community, and how to build the kingdom using conversations and friendships. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. quick update for our listeners. We will no longer be hosting our podcast on SoundCloud. So if you follow us there, or if you have that app, you will no longer be able to have access to our podcast through that platform. We are now hosting our podcast at Podbean. So you can download the Podbean app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Play, or online. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. We collect connection cards and you hear about them every Sunday. And on the connection card, I ask, how did you get connected to New Life? And it's like 95 plus percent is always, I was invited by a a friend or family member or something of that nature. Now, what's interesting is another question that's not on that card. And I just ask over time, especially when people go through membership or people have been around here a long time, is, is why once you showed up, you know, because after the invitation, something else has to transpire to keep you here. And what's interesting about that one is there's no one answer. It's always a variety of different things. Some people will say, hey, I love the sermon. I love the way you communicate. Some people say you had a choir and uh, there's not a lot of choirs around anymore. So I love the choir. Some people love the music. Some people love the fellowship. Some people love the cookies and coffee. And so what's interesting is it's always the invitation that gets them here. But it really is only like one thing or at least one pinnacle thing that will keep them here. And to go back to the restaurant analogy, that's true of us too, right? So you go to the restaurant because someone invited you or maybe just check it out on your own, whatever that situation is. But more than likely, someone told you, hey, it's good. So you gave them a chance. But it's only going to take one item on the menu to really keep you there. See, we go to restaurants for all sorts of reasons. You know, you go to Buffalo Wild Wings because they have every sports channel. Uh, but the chicken is fine. Eh, <laughs> mediocre at best. It's, yeah. <laughs> so you do, you, we do these things and we get connected to things. Or you go to a restaurant because, hey, they have 60 different beers on tap. So I'm into that. But we know the food's not good and they don't have yeah. any TVs. Yeah. But, you know, it's like one thing. And so I think sometimes we also get intimidated, too, when we invite someone to our life group or we invite someone to our church because we think they have to love every element of it. Uh, the truth is it really only takes one or two things for them to get connected. And once again, remember, remember, if you like it and they're your friend, then they will probably connect with at least one element as well. And that should 100% take the pressure off of you. It's right. like, okay, all they have to do is just like one thing. Right. They don't have to like everything. Because, I mean, let's be honest with you, no, no church out there is absolutely perfect, you know, and it's because we're all human. And so... If man, if I can invite my friend and they can just like just one thing and uh, about our service, then they might stick around. You know, not saying that they for sure 100% will stick around, but they might continue to come, they might continue to grow, and then they might invite one of their friends. And so, man, if just remember just one thing. <laughs>
it also takes the pressure off of the congregation as a whole to perform like to feel like they need to perform all the time sure yeah so if we like just walk in with the understanding that our large our large group you know our row is what we call it um but our our big worship gathering if we just understand that is a natural part of our life together as christians and it doesn't have to be perfect every time and we don't always have to whatever like we don't have to be perfect then that takes the pressure off of everybody in the congregation it makes it easier on the staff it makes it easier on the volunteers and it that doesn't mean we don't want to do things with excellence it just means that we don't we don't live and die off of our performance you know we don't live yeah. and die off of um, how good we are, which we're Lutheran, so we should already know that that's not the case, right? It doesn't matter how good we are. Um, that's not what makes that's not what makes the church the church. Um, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Word spoken um, over us and the promises given to us. So I think that that helps too. That then when we invite people in, we're inviting them not into something that feels forced or something that feels too clean. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels too performance driven. We're inviting people into what should feel like a natural a natural outcome of our community of our life together as Christians is that we gather together and we hear the word we sing hymns we pray together or songs we sing songs and we pray together and this is just one this is one part of our life together in Christ one thing my father-in-law said to me that was really offensive was he said <laughs> god doesn't need you and uh you know one thing in our in our lutheran tradition is that we actually believe that's true. Like God doesn't need us. Salvation is a work of the Holy spirit. And so that should take the pressure off. That should take the pressure off. Cause the truth is if I invite someone to church and uh, you know, they come, they say, yes, it's great. And they step in and maybe one or two things goes really well. And, and that's significant. Like those are all great things. Those are all great things, but ultimately uh, the Holy spirit is the key. And that's who imparts faith in our lives. And that's how we receive faith is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, breaking through our, our dead, our dead, unbeating hearts and bringing life. Mm-hmm. And so that should take the pressure off. And so when people do come in and they don't show back up, uh, you know, that hurts me as a pastor, to be honest. But I have to understand it from a theological thing that they're really not rejecting me and they're not rejecting you. Um, that's rejection of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's work is to break through that heart. So one thing I always tell our staff, and they're probably sick of hearing it, but uh, we do everything with excellence so we get out of the way of the Holy Spirit. See, one of the beautiful things that Jesus did is he partners with us. We know it's the Holy Spirit doing the work. So those conversations are significant and our actions are significant and our excellence is significant, but in its purest form, when we can just get out of the way of the Holy Spirit, then we let him do his work. And really, I think that's when success happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really when we see lives change and when we do things that get us out of the way of God's work. But like Tim said, you know, when we put all that pressure on to be perfect and and we cringe when the pastor mispronounces a word and and we brought a friend (laughs) and, or the guitar, you know, stops working or something. It's just like, duh. But, uh, you know, the reality is it is the Holy Spirit. And that's what we believe as Lutherans, that through and through and through, we are dead in our sins. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us an ounce of life and to full life. And so uh, even though we partner with God at the end of the day, it's it's all about 
Jesus and all about the Holy Spirit, which which is what draws us to salvation. That'll preach. <laughs> yeah. That'll preach. Also, uh, it's also not our job to convert people, right? right. And that's right. that's a, a huge thing that I mm. see with a lot of my youth is they want to bring students and they want to convert them. They just uh, they just want to uh, like force Jesus onto them. And I'm like, you don't have to go that far. All you have to do is tell uh, your friends uh, about what Jesus has done for you and how Jesus impacted your life. Because that's what he did in the in the New Testament. When you see all of the the stories about how people, you know, we've already discussed this, but how Jesus impacted people and then they ran off and just told everyone, that's all it takes. And so it's not actually your job to convert your friends. It's just your job to live out what Christ has done for you. Yeah, the Samaritan woman goes to her village and says, this guy Jesus told me everything that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? So the people pointed them back to Jesus. Yeah, I grew up in a tradition that I don't think we got the truest sense of what the Holy Spirit does or or how salvation works. And uh, it was a what we call in the church world decision theology, which means it's basically up to humanity to make a decision for Christ or to reject Christ. And really in connection with that, it's then our responsibility as Christians to convince, recruit, or get people into the faith. Now, there's some elements of truth in those things, uh, but we need to hold on to the, the truth that it's the Holy Spirit who does the conversion. And so when you when you buy into a, a theology and understanding like that, it does put a lot of pressure on you because you think, I have to say the right words get this person to say this prayer or do these actions or, or have this posture. And then I have punched their ticket to heaven. And, uh, that's not something we, we hold true as, as Lutherans. Yeah. First we, off, that's a stressful, stressful way to live. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you do that, literally you're taking on the weight of everyone's salvation on your shoulders. Mm. And that was not what it was meant to be. We're just to be willing servants, willing partners, of the Holy Spirit and let him work through us. And what I've learned in my life when I was kind of buying into that, that false notion of I can do this. If I say the right words or have the right response that I can convince people. And if I convince people, then they will be a, a Christian, right? As if I was the one saving them and not God working through me or God working on his own. And I was just happened to be standing there essentially. And uh, so I spent a lot of time trying to learn the right phrase or mm-hmm. the pithy statement that I thought I could convince them and turn them. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the end, if you do that and you have some success, it's really the work of the Holy Spirit. But most of the time you won't because you're basically trying to use your humanity to save someone else's humanity, which means you have broken upon broken. And uh, it's only the perfection of the Holy Spirit that that beams through our, our dark, cracked heart. If we can crack it open enough that the Holy Spirit can beam through, then that actually happens. And so I love this idea that we're, you, you take the pressure off because if you try to own it yourself, all you're going to find is defeat and frustration. And in the end, you might even question God's work at all because you're trying to do it yourself instead of letting him work through you. Right. Yeah. yeah John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, that's when, when, we're, when we're swept up into this relationship with God through Jesus that's when we start to experience the power of the gospel and that transformation is when we abide in Jesus, we abide in the word. 
that we're actually empowered by and transformed by the Holy Spirit and can experience those those things. And then after that, then the disciples are sent off. Yes. Go and make disciples. Yeah. Um, but it starts with that abiding. Which abiding is a word that's used lots of times in the Bible, and we don't always really know what it means. Abiding, the Greek word is meno, and the Hebrew word is yasab. And both words mean to, to inhabit or dwell a place. So they're used primarily for people living in a physical location. And what I like about that is that it implies that, that the person is just going about their life in this space. They inhabit, they abide in this space. And that's the language that Jesus uses to talk about how the, we as disciples are supposed to be in him is that we actually just abide within him while we're doing our, our business. Yeah, I think a lot of that is uh, that idea of abiding and living out your faith and your vocation and your life is so critical. I think, uh, unfortunately, maybe it was just the tradition that I grew up in. Or maybe it's just a season of Christianity in America. But I think there was a, a long time when the purest form of Christianity, I, I say that purest in, in italics, right? Or yeah, hyphens. What happened was we began to segregate ourselves mm. from others so it's like the purest form of christianity was to watch only christian movies and the purest form of christianity is to only listen to christian music and the purest form of christianity is to only have christian friends and to go to a christian school and then a christian university to marry a christian wife and just build up this boundary around our house where nothing can leak in the problem with that is that they don't take advantage of what god has given them which is the natural interaction of people who don't believe. And that's where that, if just abiding in Christ and allowing that faith to permeate every area of your life is really going to make that transformation. See, when we build walls and we put up boundaries and we protect ourselves from others, we also don't interact with others. We don't have conversations with others and we can't influence others. One of the saddest things I heard in when I was in high school is we were sitting in this leadership team that I was on, a teen leadership team, and this kid proudly proclaimed that he had no he had no non Christian mm-hmm. friends. Even in that in that moment, probably in the immaturity of my faith, it really bothered me to the point that I said something. And I like, especially when I was young, I never said anything that was going to spark controversy. I just didn't feel comfortable with that at all. But I said that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. And uh, even now in my maturity, it's like it actually is is way more grotesque to me now than it ever was then. Because the truth is, if that's something you find pride in, I don't have any non-Christian friends. I don't interact with non-Christian people. Then you're essentially trying to step into a space that God doesn't have ready for you yet. Because the only place that we'll ever have where there's no non-Christians, no non-believers is heaven. And there'll be a day for that. But right now we don't live in that space. In fact, we're not supposed to live in that space. We're supposed to live in a space where we bump heads, rub against, interact with people who don't believe. That's the point. Mm -hmm. That's the point of everything. That's the reason we play sports. That's the reason we go to work. That's the reason we do everything is to interact with a world that desperately needs Christ. And so that's it. That's the crux of it all. And we see the Great Commission is to do that, right? Go into the world, make disciples, influence people. So they become like you. Now, why were they influencing people like that? Because they had become like Christ because they were his disciples. And so to make disciples means to become like the person who's discipling you. And so the disciples were taking on the characteristics of Christ and they're transferring those on to others. That was the great commission, right? To influence, to bump up against who don't have it all together. 
influence them so they can influence others. And of course, to get them connected to the covenant of Christ. That was the commandment. That was the purpose. That's the mission of the church. And unintentionally in our lives, even unintentionally in church, we miss the point and we think church and we think our lives is to create this Christian bubble where we protect or we do nice things. And uh, the truth is we're missing the point if uh, we aren't we aren't abiding in Christ and letting that that uh, permeation of his spirit in our lives to influence others. So we actually have disciples who are becoming like us through the power of Christ. So I'm really glad you said that. So my question to you is how do you balance uh, that and also at the same time protecting your witness, living above reproach? Because I remember uh, a few months ago I preached about uh, and I use the example of uh, smells. And I had a friend who uh, smoked all the time, constantly. And uh, I was constantly wearing perfume. And Were I was, you wearing perfume, Tim? No, no, I was not. I was wearing uh, very manly smelling uh, cologne. Uh, anyways, so um, we had this really uh, deep, impactful moment where we both gave each other just a really good hug. And I remember leaving that place... And I smelled like smoke. And so, um, you know, I immediately thought, oh, man, my uh, reputation might be damaged by this or um, my witness might be damaged by this. How can I go tell how can I like be representation of Christ when I smell like this or how do we protect that and still live abiding? Well, I would say first. So Jesus is our example. And Jesus really wasn't that concerned about being uh, seen with people who weren't accepted by society. And in fact, he was criticized oftentimes because he spent so much time with prostitutes and tax collectors. That passage about um, living above reproach, the context of that passage is actually with other believers. So it's connected to it's connected to when Paul talks about um, don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother. So it's actually... Um, in the context of you need to be above reproach with your with your fellow Christians. And so that's a big difference between that and I don't want to go to the bar because whatever, people are drunk there and I don't want people to think about that. Because in fact, I mean, those are the kinds of places that Jesus was. Um, so there's a difference between those two things, between your brothers and sisters knowing that you're um, walking with Jesus and abiding in him and that you're interacting, but if people are like bothered by who you're spending time with, then you're in good company because that's yeah. what happened with Jesus, you know? Yeah. I really wish my high school self could have heard this because I was a lot like your friend who, or I don't know if he was your friend or not, but who proclaimed, oh man, I only have Christian friends uh, because I went to, uh, uh, my high school was not, I mean, we weren't focused on Jesus at all. I mean, it was all about materialistic things which a lot of you know high schools are but i mean it was just all about who had the nicest shoes who i just i bought into that for a little bit until christ got a hold of my life and then it was all about i swung too far on the pen, pendulum and i went to all right i'm gonna have friends who are only christians and we only talk about jesus and we don't really talk to other people about this so again we're kind of going back to this it needs to be a nap a natural expression it needs to be it needs to be fairly natural for you. It needs to be places that you already have those connections and those friendships. So like if you're a super nerdy, like Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, and you're like a, a software programmer, it would be, Hey, hey, that's offensive. It would be, it would be awkward. <laughs> it would just be weird. 
if you like walked into a biker bar <laughs> and like started struck up conversation, right? Like that would be weird. And so that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about not that bikers are unseemly. Um, but like, so when we're talking about that kind of thing, about spending time with unbelievers, we're still talking about this natural, I'm glad you brought up vocation, Ben, where wherever you find yourself in life, that's where you need to be doing the witnessing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're always going to have people that are far from God. And sometimes those people who are farthest from God are closest to the church, right? And vice versa. Um, and so we just need to be using our natural, those natural places that were already existing and already living we just need to use those for for jesus and for our neighbors because that's what you know martin luther when he talked about vocation he says it doesn't matter if you are a seamstress or you know your thimble and needle your beer barrel if you're a brewer your those are going to call out to you they're going to say to you hey use me to do good for your neighbor just like your neighbors is going to do for them and so i think that that's not that it's just what we do with our job but it's any place if we're a parent or if we're a significant other or if we're a friend whatever those natural places that we find ourselves in we just need to we just need to understand that that is all a part of a, of abiding in jesus mm-hmm. and that it's not separate yeah and so as we talked about this uh one of my students said well my parents are extremely protective so they don't want me having uh non-christian friends or they don't want me doing anything the things that they participate in and so how do we also counteract Cause I know even my dad was the same way. I remember when I had, uh, some, uh, friends who they were spotted with drugs or anything. Uh, my dad was like, okay, well you just need to distance yourself from them and don't hang out with them ever again, you know? And so that wasn't what I wanted to hear from him. What I wanted to hear from him was, well, I mean, let me, let me like at least try and witness to them. But no, he didn't want that. He wanted me to complete distance myself. I think it comes down to as well as who's influencing who. And you know that. I mean, we know that answer already. Like, whoever you are, uh, if you're around a group and you are honest with yourself to say who's influencing who, then that gives you a pretty clear picture of if you need to step back for a while or step in or whatever. So we see Jesus hanging out with people and people are spreading rumors. I think the beauty of, of Christ was he didn't care what people had to say because he knew what was true. So now he is perfect. And so I don't think he probably had to ask himself that question. But I think if, if it was Matthew stepping back into that role of hanging out with his old friends, which I, he probably kept in relationship with them, I would be shocked if he didn't. And uh, in fact, the reason Jesus was with tax collectors and, and prostitutes was because those were Matthew's friends. So he calls Matthew to be his disciple. And then Matthew does the natural thing, which is, well, here's my buddies. Well, <laughs> That's who they were. That was the reality. And so I expect when Matthew went back in, even though we don't have a specific conversation between the two, that was probably implied. Who's influencing who, right? Are you going back to the old ways or are you transforming their lives? And that's a big question. You know, as I live my life, the question should be who's influencing who. But I think that when you get to a certain spot in in your faith, the answer is you're influencing them. And so you got to put yourself in those situations. And, and I love that because that's that's it's a reflection of Christ. And it's beautiful that I can go to the bar with people who uh, don't know Christ and they're going to have one too many, but I won't. That allows me a space to have a conversation. That means that I can go play volleyball at the bar and uh, have a space to have a conversation with people who might never darken the door of church. And uh, we all have those places. Now, obviously, there's areas in our life when we don't need to step into those realms where it's not going to help us. And it's just not a win. The, 
the really dark and seedy areas of life. But I think as long as you keep yourself in that frame of mind of who's influencing who, I'm influencing them, and I'm not getting pulled into something I shouldn't be a part of, uh, I think that's a, a good place to be. It's challenging. It's hard. You might have people say things about you that you don't like or spread rumors, uh, but ultimately you just got to not care because obviously Jesus didn't care. And the, and the truth is we read about in the Bible that people were criticizing Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and, and prostitutes and sinners. But what we don't hear is the other side of the coin, which means there were probably people cheering him on. And guess who those people were? They were tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes whose lives were being transformed, who no one ever talked to before. And he was showing them love. And they were like, I can't believe this. This rabbi, this teacher, this guy who people hold in high regard is hanging out with us. And I have a weird story for you guys. Uh, I wasn't planning on telling this, but uh, really none of this is scripted. So I wasn't ever planning on telling you guys anything. So uh, I went to Montana couple summers ago and I'm hanging out with one of my buddies and we used to work at a Lutheran camp out there together. And so we were meeting up. And uh, so we went to a bar. This was not like Applebee's. This was not the boulevard. This was a bar. So we're hanging out there and we're having a good time just catching up and we're having a beer and and we were out of place. Like this was the biker bar and I dress like a a typical white guy, right? Uh, I have pullovers and jeans and I look like I should be golfing or I don't know, watching Seinfeld. I don't know what I look like. <laughs> so I'm in this bar. And so finally these guys who are all rough and bearded and tattooed. They're like, you know, what are you guys doing here? Essentially is what they were thinking. But they asked the question of who are, who are you guys? And so my buddy, before I could stop him is like, Oh, he's a pastor, which doesn't bother me, but people always get weird when they find out I'm a pastor. And so they act differently and they treat me differently. But these guys didn't know. They had no qualms about, you know, not swearing anymore or or treating me differently. I mean, these these were rough and tumble guys. I have no idea what kind of gang they were in. If they were in a gang, they looked like they were all wearing the same jacket. So they start asking me questions about God. So we're sitting in this bar. These guys who were covered in tattoos from head to toe are asking me questions about God, asking me questions about church. They're reflecting on their experiences as a child and the reasons they were not connected with church anymore. So here I am just trying to vacation and uh, exist in a space where no one knows me and, and I'm not drawing attention to myself. And all of a sudden I get this this moment where God is using me in this dark and seedy bar to have real Christ conversations with these guys who haven't darkened the door of a church in probably 30 or 40 years. That's just a great example. You, you put yourself in that situation and uh, I got a chance to influence people uh, just because I was in that venue and uh, they didn't influence me. My, I didn't do anything to denigrate my faith or, or damage the name of Christ, but we had the conversation because I was there, I was open to it, and it happened.